This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. Our, our, our foundational scriptures are in Ephesians chapter 6 and in Psalms 127. We'll start off with, uh, with Ephesians 6. For those of you that were not here last week, that first verse that I, that, I, that I was quoting from, it comes from Ephesians 5 and 1, if you want to put that in your notebooks. And this is a, a uh, we're bringing to a, a particular place this teaching of, of God's purpose in the family. And my portion of it is parents' responsibility to children. And I just love how, um, how the Lord will come and he'll make, he'll make you clarify even the title of your message, and there'll be so much into that, because I think that, that I may have said uh, the parents' responsibility to their children, but this is, this is parents' responsibility to children, because your responsibility as a parent, as a mature Christian, goes beyond just your house. You have a responsibility to all those that could and that would learn of God's goodness, learn of God's grace, and learn of his love through you. You have a response. You are an example to all of those that are around you, not just those that are in your house. Amen. But we know that unless, unless you're a true example, the ones that are in your house, they're going to be the ones to, 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 to sniff it out right away. They'll let you know. You can, you can pretend and fake to everybody else, but the ones in your house, they'll let you know. So it's parents' responsibilities to, to children. And in, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. And we say that when we say this this uh, this this commandment is to parents, is to, is to fathers, but it's speaking both to fathers and mothers. It's speaking to those that are the mature ones in the household, that have been given charge over that which is not their own. You know, your, your children, they belong to God. They are your children. They are your responsibility. But the ownership, you don't own them. They, they belong to God. You are, as a faithful steward, taking possession of that which is not yours, to bring it to a state of perfection, to a state of maturity, to a state of completion, where they can be useful to God's kingdom. Amen. And so, when it says that parents, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to bring them up in the training and in the discipline of the Lord, so that they are able to discern, so that they are able to do that they are able to act without fear and accomplish the work of God. So we said that parents, that you have a responsibility to hear the command of God and to place yourself and your household in a position to obey. That parents, you have the responsibility to not be distracted, to not be caught up, to not be consumed with your own lust and your own desires. To not be so off, off, knocked off the mark that you're not able to hear and to see what God is doing. But you have to hear the command of God. 
And you have to be strategic and place yourself in your family in a position where they can obey the voice of God. And we said we want to keep it 100. That, that one of the things that you have to do is that you have to be very deliberate and intentional in who you allow to have involvement in your day-to-day life and who has an influence over your children. That you have to be very specific about that. That it's not enough. It's not enough. These blood relationships. It's not enough. These family ties. That you have to be very intentional and very specific about who you bring your children around. Because not every cousin is a good influence. Maybe your, bro- your own brothers and sisters may not be the best influence. It may not be appropriate for your children to go and spend the weekend with that brother. It may not be appropriate even for them to go and spend the week over at grandma's house. Because that, that maybe, maybe there's some things that are unresolved in those households that don't fit the pattern of what is good that you're trying to teach and that you're trying to instill into your children's lives. So you need to be very specific. We talked about those people that you need to keep them away from. You need to be very specific about the people that you bring them around, about the influences that you pour into their lives. Be very specific and intentional about how you speak about the pastor and and about the pastor's wisdom and about the pastor's counsel, even in small things, even in small things. We saw in scriptures how how Sarah, when, when she was in the tent and the angels were talking to Abraham and they were given a promise that Isaac was going to come, that, that Abraham, even in her mind, she said that, you know, my Lord, she thought of him, I, that, that she didn't laugh. That even in her thoughts and in her intentions, that she, that she, that she gave him the reverence and the, the respect that he deserves. So be very careful and intentionable about even how you think about the pastor in your minds, because it's going to come out in your thoughts. It's going to come out in your actions. It's going to come out in how you respond to the commands. And it's a man, and the demands that ministry places on you. Be very intentional about the ministers and what you say about them and what you are thinking about them and how you reverence the Word of God. Know that it is not of ourselves that we stand in this place. That these are not the words that we have written, but it is as God has revealed that we are bringing them forth into the people. That you know what, there's, there's nothing personal. That I love each and every single one of you. But when I'm teaching, there's nothing personal about the teaching. It's only what God has to say. And, me- and I ask you to measure everything that every minister says according to what the Word of God says. Be as the Bereans, that as they, as they received and as they heard the teaching, that they went back and diligently studied and sought out that those things were so. That they didn't just get caught up in, in a cult of personality. They didn't get caught up in just being and getting along as a part of the organizational structure. But they said, if this, if this is truly the Word of God, then I must allow it to be true in my life. And as you change your attitude, as you adjust your attitude towards the ministers and the Word of God, your children are going to see that. Those that are around you, they're going to see that. And they're going to understand the pattern, the proper response to the Word of God. So we need to, as parents, we need to, we need to hear, first of all, the command of God to place our households in a position to obey. And that means that we need to be very deliberate about those that have an involvement in our children's lives. That parents, we need to, 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 make, to place our children, to present our children to be useful to God. 
And we talked about Hannah, how she dedicated her son, Samuel. She said, God, if, if you give me a child, I'll give him right back to you. Lord, whatever you give me, I'll give right. That needs to be our attitude in all things, but especially with our children. That whatever you put into my hands, I'm going to give it right back to you. Whatever influence, whatever, whatever inroads that I have into these lives, I'm going to direct it all to you, not to me. But I'm going to direct it all to you. And we said, how do you, how do you put that into practice? And we went to Timothy. How, and we saw how, 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 how Paul was, was, um, was reflecting upon Timothy's life and his reputation and his track record. And he said that from an early age, the word of God was made known to you. And we said that it doesn't mean that, that when they're six, when they're eight, that they have to uh, accept salvation. It doesn't mean that when they're 12, they need to be baptized. But what it does mean is that from an early age, that we brought them around the things of God, that we've told them about the promises, that we've told them about God's goodness, that we've demonstrated God's love, and we've made known to them the mysteries, so that as they begin to weigh and as they begin to consider, that it would only be reasonable, it would only, be re it would only, it would only make sense for them to choose to serve God fully. That they wouldn't have any other mind outside of that. They wouldn't know any other way outside of that. You know, some of the, some of the, 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 the things that you did as children to get by and to hustle and to make it. You know, some of those things need to be left right back there in your own childhood. They don't need to perpetuate it, be brought over into this next generation. Some of the stuff, some of the hustle that you had to do. Some of the, 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 the ends that you had to make, they shouldn't have to, you shouldn't, some of those things you need to leave back there in the past. And your children need to understand a different way, a better way, God's direction and his means for their life. They don't need to, they don't need to do it the way that you did it. They don't need to come up the way you came up. You know, some of you, some, some of you all need to understand that all your, your children don't need to come up the same way that you came up. They need to understand what God's purpose and His direction is for their lives. You know, we get so we get so um, I guess at times frustrated ourselves with our children. We say, well, you know, they they don't have the the same street smarts. They don't have the same game. They don't have the same hustle that we had. They're not where we were when we were at a certain age. But you know what? They're not coming up the same way that you came up. And you don't realize that it's not before the grace of God that you are still here. That God delivers you out of those bondages, out of those, those, those traps that you set for your own self. You tried to trip your own self up. But you know what? Your grandmama and your mama, they were praying for you. And they got you out of that. All those experiences and those, those, those hard knocks that you had coming up. Your children don't need, don't need to go through all those things. What they need is they need to understand the butter and the honey. And we'll talk about that. They need to understand what is good so that they can reason. And then that, that when they become of age, that they will choose to follow after the Lord. And so that, that brings us to where we wanted to get to today is that, they, that we need to teach our children to bring an offering to the Lord. We need to, bring, to teach our children, parents, need to teach their children to bring an offering to the Lord. And the first reference that we had is in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Verse 
Starting at verse 3, it says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. So we see here that, that here we have Cain and Abel, children of Adam. And that they begin that they that they see that it is now time for them to bring an offering to the Lord. And it talks about the offerings that were brought. And it says that it makes note that, that God had respect unto Abel and his offering. And so the the, the, the position that we that we put out there last time was that these 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 children, how did they know what to bring to God? The only way that they could know what to bring to God is that the parents had to teach them. That your children will not know what to bring to God unless you show them the pattern, unless you show them the form, unless you show them the intention. But too often what happens is that we teach our children by giving them a quarter. We teach our children by giving them a dollar. And we say, you know, be sure to tithe off of your birthday money. And this is, this is birthday money that we gave them. And so they're, they're tithing off of money that we already then tithed off of. And so they, 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 they get into the habit of bringing an offering, of bringing an offering, of bringing an offering. But then that's where they stay, that they're bringing your offering. That they're not bringing their offering to the Lord. So yet, you know what, they can, they can give God a little bit of what you gave to them. But can they give of the firstlings? Can they give of the firstlings? Of the, can they give of the best? Can they commit themselves to give that which makes them uncomfortable and afraid. And we said, you know, some of the ways that, 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 that you begin to, to teach your children to give an offering to the Lord is that when, when they move out of their comfort zone, when they, when they have to stand up here and sing and they don't like to be on stage, and they are definitely afraid and their hands begin to sweat because they don't like to speak in front of people. But, you know, they come up anyway and they say, you know why? Because it's not about me. It's about ministry that I can serve. When they begin to learn the scriptures and they learn whole chapters of scripture. And maybe some of them have a speech impediment. Some of them have a, a stutter. Some of them are, are, are naturally, you know, low talkers. They're not used to speaking out loud and boldly. And they have to be taught and corrected. And they, they need to be shown how to move their hands and how to demonstrate. And, and, they, and, and it's like, you know what? Well, maybe, you know, maybe it's just not. It's just not in their personality. Maybe it's just not, you know, it's not in their personality. But it's an offering unto the Lord. It's an offering unto the Lord. When they have to practice their instruments. And you hear all those bad notes. And you hear all those missed chords. And the rhythm is not right. And it's not a pleasing sound. But they practice and they practice and they practice. So that they can come up on stage and present an offering to the Lord. This is how we teach them. This, when we teach them that when they're young, then when they're applying to colleges, and they're saying, well, you know what? I can go to the East Coast. I can go to the West Coast. I can go to the Ivy League schools. I can go to any place I want to go. But the place that I want to be is where God can use me, where I can hear from God. And so I'm going to present an offering to the Lord. 
when they're applying for jobs and people are telling them that they can make six figures doing this and six figures doing that and that they can stay long and work extra and put in the hours and put in the work that they say, you know what, I understand that you think that I'm valuable, but I know where my true value is. I understand that you appreciate the skills, but I know where my source is. And instead of doing that, I'm going to present an offering. I'm going to present an offering unto the Lord. I'm going to give to God. For everything that He's given me, I'm going to give it right back to Him. I'm going to give it right back to Him. When we talk about this offering, let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. First Chronicles 22. And this is this is David instruction to his to his son Solomon. David had a desire. He had a yearning to give and to give and to give and to build a house for the Lord. But it was not put into his hands to do that thing. But what he did is he said, "Well, you know what, God, I'm still committed to your purpose. I'm still committed to your plan." I can't make you a house, but Lord, I'm going to give you this child. I'm going to offer up this son, Solomon, and I'm going to make provisions for him to be able to give unto you. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. We're just going to read verse 6. This is David. He says, Then he called called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. He charges his son. He says, I've made provision. I've laid aside goods. I've laid aside materials. I've established the connections and the context that you need to get the work of God done. And a lot of times we think that, well, Solomon, he was faithful in having the house of the Lord built. But, you know, where we see Solomon's true faithfulness, where we see his his true offering, is if you look in... In First Kings, look in First Kings, chapter three. Solomon was faithful in what his dad gave him, and he put forth the effort to build the house of the Lord. And in this thing, the Lord was well pleased. And it said in First Kings, chapter three, verse five, it says, "In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon." In a dream by night, and, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. He says, Ask what I shall give thee. And then Solomon's response. This is what we're talking about. Your children need to be able to give their offering to the Lord. And Solomon said, Thou hast shown unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Lord, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for the promises and the faithfulness that you've shown in times past. I thank you that you've you've demonstrated through my father what it is to give an offering. But now, Lord, now it's my time. It says, and now, Lord, my God, Not my father's God, but now Adonai, now Yahweh, now the Lord of promise, the Lord that is most high, my God, 
the one in who I live, the one in who I breathe, the one who, who I have my very existence, Elohim, the Lord of lights, the one who spoke into being and it was. O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. That I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this? Thy so great a people. So we see Solomon. God is saying, You've done, you've done well in what your father has given you. You've done well and you've been faithful in what your father has given you. What is it that you would ask of yourself? And Solomon says, Lord, what you've given to me, I give right back to you. Give me, the, give me the, an understanding heart that I can know what is good, that I can discern, that I can see what is truth and what is false, that I can see what is good and evil. For the benefit of, not for my own glory, but for the benefit of your kingdom, for the benefit of your people. We need to teach our children that, that in him is our life. That outside of the Lord there is no life. That outside of his kingdom there is no life. Go to Romans chapter 12. We're talking about your children need to understand how to give their offering to the Lord. Romans 12 and 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to change your mind. You need to change your value system about what is success and what is failure, about what is life and what is death, about what it means to move forward and what it means to backslide, that ye may prove what is that good and and perfect will of God. We need to teach our children to live a life that, that where they are, are, are willing, where they are motivated by love, where they are active for the kingdom of God. When it says this word that, that we present ourselves a living sacrifice that is holy, and that sacrifice is then acceptable unto God. What, is it, what does it mean to be holy? It means to be separate, to be set apart, to put away, to purge ourselves from all impurity, to see in my life. These are the areas where I have not quite met the mark. Where I have not quite met the mark. I need to purge myself from all impurity. And then I can be acceptable to God, which is I can be submitted. I can be submitted to authority. I can be submitted to the authority in the house of God. I can be submitted to the authority in my own home. I can be submitted to the authorities in this land. And then I will be conformed. Conformed, shaped, molded, bent by righteousness. 
that I wanted to go a certain way, but righteousness says, no, this is the direct way. This is the way of life. And I had to change my opinion and conform my mind, conform my actions to righteousness. So that's what it means to, for your children to present their offering unto the Lord. They have to be able to say, out of all that I've been given, out of all that I've seen, Lord, I'm going to give it right back to you. I'm going to present myself as an active and willing participant, as a sacrifice that is separated for your use. I'm going to change my opinions and be conformed to your purpose and be conformed to your will, conformed to righteousness. Go to Colossians chapter 3. You say, well, Brother Eberhard, that, that sounds like a, a good thing to do. What, what, what's going to keep our children from that? What's going to keep our children from that? He says, you know, we, we have to not provoke our children to anger, to frustration. But we have to lead them into the discipline and instruction in righteousness from the Lord. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. It says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger. Lest they, be, lest they be discouraged. Provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. You know, the role of the parent is to provoke. The role of the parent is to provoke. I used to tell my children that, you know what, my favorite word is no. It comes so naturally. I just love to say it. Ask me anything. Ask me anything. Can I have some candy? Can I have some gum? No, 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 no. I just love it. The role of the parent is to provoke. Now, what does it mean to provoke? It means to stir up. It, mean, it means to excite. It means to stimulate. You know, in, in, in chemistry, we learned that there were certain elements that, that, they, that, they would, that they would just exist in a state naturally, in a state of rest naturally. And in that state of rest, that they actually would not perform anything outside of just being in existence. They would not impact the environment around them because they were in a state of rest. Right? But if you added a catalyst, if you provoked, if you provoked, then all of a sudden that thing that was in a state of rest, that had no impact in the environment around it, then all of a sudden, then it would change. It would change all those things that were surrounding it. And so you as a parent, your role is to provoke, is to excite. You, you're to stimulate your children because your children are as arrows in the hand of a mighty hunter. And what are arrows? We know that an arrow is just a shaft and it has, a, it has a point at the end. But an arrow in and of itself has no purpose. It has no function. It has no usefulness. But in the hand of a mighty hunter, in the hand of someone that can, that can direct that arrow, that, that has the focus and can point that arrow to where it needs to go, that arrow has deadly effect. The arrow has deadly effect. And so parents, your role is to provoke. But the scripture says that don't provoke them to the point of frustration. 
Don't provoke them to the point where they are discouraged. Don't provoke them to the point of anger. We have to set boundaries and direct our children. Now the role of the child is to test those boundaries. Right? The role of the parent is to set the boundaries. You've got to understand the rules of the game. I'm sorry. If nobody tells you this, this, this is your wake-up call. Your role as a parent is to set the boundaries. That's, that's, that's your part in the game. The role of the child is to test the boundaries. You know, don't get excited. Don't get confused. Don't get upset when they test, because that's what they're supposed to do. That's, they're, they're just playing their part in the game. Your role is to set the boundaries. Their role is to test the boundaries. But when, when your children test those boundaries, then that's when you, you show them this is the way of righteousness. This is the correct way. That, that's when you refrain them and direct them into the way that is productive. You know, if a hunter, when an arrow went astray, if they went and they broke that arrow, pretty soon they wouldn't have any arrows. If a hunter broke an arrow, when an arrow went astray, pretty soon they wouldn't have any arrows. What, what it, they, they retrieve it and they refocus. They redirect. They reposition. Because they know that in, and of, that in and of itself, the arrow has the ability to do the will of God. It has the ability to have deadly effect. Your children have the ability to accomplish the will of God. They have the capacity to do what God has called them to do. It is your role as parents to direct them so that they can be effective. When your children, when they won't hear from you in the natural things, when they won't hear from you in the natural things, it's going to become impossible. It's going to become impossible for them to hear from you in spiritual things. That's why it needs to start early. You need to start the direction early. Because with the, if they won't hear from you in natural things, how can they hear from you in spiritual things? Don't let your arrows just lay around to rot and to rust. But provoke them, stimulate them, push them forward into the things of God. And as they hear from you in the natural things, then they'll begin to hear spiritual things. Let me give you a verse for that. It's John chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. Just write that down. John chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. If your children will not hear from you in, in natural things, how can they hear from you in spiritual things? Too often we have parents, they, they're frustrated because their children made unwise decisions in their life. They, they, uh, they, they got married or they didn't get married. They didn't have that child. They had that child. I'm sorry, they did not have that child. They were pregnant, but they didn't have that child. They had that child. Parents become frustrated with their children, their conduct and their, 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 their manner was not what they were instructed in. They become frustrated with their children because of their natural things, and they begin to we begin to pour on 
spiritual platitudes begin to, to pour spiritual things on top of, of, of fleshly things. We try to say, you know, just trust in God, just believe in God. And they're not, they're, they haven't even made a confession in their heart that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. We begin to punish them for not coming to church. You know, it's, it, 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 it sometimes puzzles me how, how the most religious of us, the most religious of us, those that are so caught up in the form, right, so caught up in the form and, and denying the substance thereof, we begin to impose rules and punishments based on our children's external behaviors. That if you don't play the game, if you don't, if you don't dress the part, if you don't say the words, then I'm going to deny you my affection. I'm going to deny you my kindness. I'm going to deny you my graces. I'm going to put you out of the house. Right? How is it that, 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 a, that a father or that a mother would say, you know what, you're going to come home late. I'm going to lock the door and you won't come in after 10 o'clock at night. You know, how is it to say, you know, you won't eat at this house? When the Lord said that, that, that you fed the hungry, that you clothed the naked, he didn't say that you fed the hungry that were saved. He didn't say that you clothed the naked that went to church. He said, when you've done this to the least of these, those that were seemingly undeserving, without the capacity to repay in kind, where there were no favors to be gained, where there was no advantage to be gained, when you did it self selflessly, when you did it without regard for the cost, but just because it was from love, that's when you did it unto me. Forgive me, there was just something that was going through my head about how, how parents, we can be, so, we can be so, so harsh and so cruel under the guise of Christian love, under the guise of directing our children, under the guise of directing our parents. But what it is is that we're actually we're showing them the exact opposites of agape, of unconditional love. We're showing them the exact opposite of God, of the God kind of love. God sent not his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Some of you, you're condemning your own children. They are the world. Those that are in your household. They are the world that you're supposed to seek and to save. That you're supposed to have a desire for. Don't get so caught up in, in, in your personal track record and your, your success rate that they, didn't, that they didn't respond to the sermon that you preached last night, that they didn't respond to the message that you gave them yesterday. Let God do his perfect work in their lives. Maybe when they see the love of God in you, when they see the love of God in you, they'll know that there truly is a God. When they see the love of God in you, they'll know that there truly is a God. So why do our children become angry with us? Why do our children become angry? You know, your children, they become angry because of your lack of consistency. You have to be consistent. That means that you have to be the same at all times in setting boundaries. 
You have to be consistent in your teaching and instruction. You can't, you can't say, get all that you can, can all that you get. Sit on a can and poison the rest one day. And then say, well, put God first the next. You can't teach them to cheat and to steal and to take advantage of those that where they can. And they say, be generous in the next. You can't try to teach them the world system and the system of righteousness. They're only going to be able to serve one master. And they're confused because you're telling them to serve mammon on one hand, and then you're saying to serve God on the other. Say, well, who am I supposed to... If you try to tell me to do one thing and do another, you're saying to be in one position and the other position because they cannot do it. They try. They know that they can't do it. Now they're angry. They're angry. Why? Because they love you. Because they love, they want to please you. But they can't please you because you're not consistent. They can't please you because in pleasing you, they have to go against the will of God and bring injury to themselves. They can't please you. And so because they love you, but they can't please you, they become angry. They become frustrated. We need to be consistent in showing affection to our children and showing unconditional love. Especially you parents that have more than one child, that you're not, that you're not showing a certain favoritism one child to another. Something that I learned growing up is that, you know, a lot of times it was said that, well, whatever one child has, you have to give to the other child. Whatever one child has, you have to give to another child. Whatever one child, you give to the other child. And that, that's just not true. That's just not true. If you have a boy that weighs 180 pounds and a girl that weighs 90, and you feed them both the same thing, you feed them both the same, I'm just talking, reason, reason in your minds. You feed them both the same thing, the same portion. You're going to have a fat girl and a skinny boy. Why is that? Because they're not the same. Because they are not the same. They need different things. They need different things. But your love should be the same. Measuring out the portion that's the same, that's not so. But your love needs to be the same. Your love needs to be the same. Whereas one may, may need help in one area, another may need help in another area. And it would actually be a disservice. It is a disservice for you to say, well, look, I, I, I work with your sister on this instrument, and so now I'm going to work with you on the same instrument. That's not their instrument. One child excelled in this area, and we did a good job. Now we're going to make you excel in that same area. But that's not what there is. That's not what they're supposed to excel in. And so, no, you don't treat your children exactly the same, but you do show them the same love. They don't have the same call, the same work on their lives, but you do demonstrate the same love to them. Your favoritism does not reflect unconditional love. And so, how do we make sure that we don't provoke our children? That we need to be consistent. We need to have integrity. We need to have a single focus. A single focus. 
And you say, Brother Bahar, how can I have a single focus? What do you mean by integrity? How, do you, how can I be consistent? The only way that you can be consistent, that you can make sure that you don't have any contradictions, the only way that you can make sure that what you say and what you teach is line upon line, precept upon precept, is that all of your teaching, your instruction, has to come out of the truth of God's Word. It has to come out of the truth of God's Word. Your affection, your direction, has to come out of the truth of God's Word. That is the only way. We talked last week about building the building, about building the foundation, that each stone needs to be set in a particular place, in a pattern, and within an order. That if you just put things randomly as sticks or as straw, that the house will fall in upon, upon those that dwell therein. The only way that you can be sure to be consistent, beyond even what you could Im imagine consistency is, is that everything that you do has to be birthed out of and motivated by the truth of God's Word. And then in your correction, in your praise, in your giving, in your refraining, in all that you do, you'll see that there is consistency and that the pattern is established and your children are able to see that which is good and that which is evil because they say, you know what? If it's not conformed to the image of God, then it's off. Then I can't use it. It's not living. It's not active. But it's dead. You need to be consistent in making sure that everything that you do comes out of the truth of God's Word. Amen, family? This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.